Good morning to you. If I haven't met you already, I am Charles McKnight. I am an ordained teaching elder here in the PCA, and as was mentioned, I currently serve as the coordinator uh, for the PCA's African American Ministries, and it's so good to be here with you all today. We're going to take a break from our sermon series through the book of Genesis, in the book of Genesis, to look at a passage in the book of Galatians this morning, Galatians chapter 3, verse 23, through chapter 4, verse 7. In this passage, the Apostle Paul has a lot to teach us about the Christian life. The main thing I want us to focus on this passage today is a theme that we've already been hitting on today, and that is the privilege that we have as Christians to call God our Father. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23, Paul begins saying, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Now just pausing there for a second. When Paul says here we're all sons, you may be wondering, what about the women folk? Are they daughters too? Well, of course, the answer is yes. Understanding Paul's cultural context, only males were entitled to the family inheritance. So when Paul says here that we're all sons, it's actually a radical gender equal statement. Paul is saying that unlike the benefits that his world had reserved only for males, God extends his benefits to all of his people, male and female. So again, Paul says, verse 26, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God, male and female, through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Therefore, Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Chapter 4, verse 1, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But, Paul says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons, again, male and female. And because you were sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Amen. Let's pray before we dive in. Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, you would use this word today to give your people a fresh vision and a renewed hope in what it means that you, the God of the universe, have given sinners like us the privilege of calling you Father. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. What does it mean for us to have a heavenly father like God? To begin today, I want you to think about your relationship with your earthly father. What is he like? If he's passed away, what was he like? For you adults, I want you to think specifically about what he was like when you were a child. What was your relationship like with him? Did you even have a relationship with him growing up? Some of you, I'm sure, have some positive memories of your relationship with your father growing up. You may have even had what could be considered a good father. But even if you had the greatest of fathers, the reality we all know now, especially as adults, is that our fathers fell short at times in fathering us perfectly. And some of our fathers fell short a lot more often than others. For some of you, when you reflect on your childhood and how you were fathered, you don't have a lot of positive memories. I imagine that in a room this size, that more than a few of you carry around with you still today the invisible scars and deep wounds inflicted by fathers, or for some, a big hole that's been left by fatherlessness, scars and wounds and holes that have been for some the source of great sadness and anger and insecurity in your life. And for those of us who are now fathers ourselves, we now know well from the other side the guilt and shame that we can often feel from our own fatherly failures. And so, brothers and sisters, because we've all had less than perfect father experiences, all of us are faced with at least some level of challenge when we encounter language in Scripture about God being a father to us. It's hard for us not to project our own incomplete and broken pictures of fatherhood onto our Heavenly Father. And so we desperately need passages like ours today. Passages that help us to see more rightly and to embrace more fully and to celebrate more joyfully what it means that the God of the universe is our Father. So far in this letter to the Galatians, The Apostle Paul has been going in on false teachers in the Galatian church. He's been calling out those who were teaching a false gospel. Those who were telling folk that the only way to really be saved, that the only way to really get right with God was by following the law, the civil and ceremonial and moral commands of God found in the Old Testament. And this false gospel was, of course, in direct conflict with the true gospel that Paul preached which was a good news message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. But understand for Paul, this didn't mean that God's law didn't still serve a good purpose. 
Paul recognized that one of the good purposes of God's law was showing us our sinfulness. As Paul describes it in chapter 3, verse 23 of our passage, telling us that the law imprisoned us. In other words, like a good prison guard, God's law kept us from escaping the reality that we're all sinners before a holy God and in need of salvation. And also, Paul tells us that the law served the good purpose of guiding us towards that salvation, a salvation that would be found, again, only in Jesus Christ. As Paul puts it several times in our passage, describing God's law as a guardian, that like a responsible adult, God's law was tasked with the responsibility of holding our hand and walking us towards Jesus because, again, Jesus and Jesus alone would be the only one who would ultimately follow God's law perfectly for us, justifying us, as Paul says in verse 24, making sinners like us right with God, not on the basis of our obedience to the law, not on the basis of anything that we do or don't do, but solely by faith in Jesus' perfect obedience and sacrificial death for us. And again, it's in this way that Paul is simply hammering home the same gospel truth that he's been hitting at since the beginning of this letter, that again, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. But what Paul uniquely adds here in our passage today is that Jesus not only brought us salvation, that Jesus not only brought peace between sinners like us and a holy God. No, Paul says Jesus did something far greater than that. Paul tells us that Jesus took sinners like us, enemies of a righteous and holy God, and made us God's children. As Paul puts this amazing truth in verse 26, saying, In Christ Jesus, you are all sons, male and female, children of God through faith. And Paul later remixes the same beautiful truth down in chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, telling us that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that, Paul says, so that we might receive adoption as God's children. Paul is saying that this is ultimately why Jesus came as a baby in a manger. That this is ultimately why Jesus suffered and died on a cross. That this is ultimately why God raised Jesus up from the dead. It was all part of God's final play that he ran through Jesus to win sinners like us into his family as his children. And this, brothers and sisters, is an awesome and distinct privilege that, again, is only experienced by grace through faith. And what God has already done for us in Jesus Christ. Which means that contrary to what some think, not everyone has the privilege of calling God Father. And that may sound kind of controversial, so let me explain what I mean. We've all heard well-meaning people, maybe even ourselves, say things like all people are God's children. And often what we mean by that is that everyone, 
that all the diversity of humanity are equally made in the image of God and therefore equally deserving of all the honor and respect and dignity that goes along with that. And to that, we say a big amen. Amen? Yes, all humanity lays equal claim on God as their creator, but not all can call on him as their father. You see, that's a different kind of relationship, an intimate relationship that God has reserved only for those who he's moved to place their faith in his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And this is why Paul says in verse 26 of our passage that it's only in Christ Jesus that we have become God's children. And the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12, puts it even more clearly, saying that only those who receive Jesus, who believe in his name, God has given the right to become children of God. So the only path into an intimate father-child relationship with God is through Jesus Christ, who, of course, was the only one who actually lived a life worthy enough to be called a child of God. And so by faith in Jesus and the adoption as God's children that flows from it, Paul tells us that we now can lay claim on all the rights and privileges that come with being his children. And in our passage, Paul highlights at least two specific child of God privileges. Number one, being heirs of an eternal inheritance. And number two, being able to cry out to God, Abba, Father. And it's the second privilege, the privilege of being able to cry out to God as our father. It's this unique privilege that I want us to focus on today. This privilege may be the greatest demonstration of our special, intimate relationship with God. That like a good parent who comes running when their child has a problem, Paul is telling us that God is committed to being an accessible and responsive father to us. A father who hears us. A father who knows us. A father who is consistent and always present, protecting us and providing for us. A father who is never too busy or distracted to care for us. A father who is gentle and kind and patient with us, a father who forgives us. That's the kind of God, the kind of father that the almighty God of the universe has decided to be for you, for us as believers. And I know for some of us, that just sounds too good to be true. And it's hard for some of us to even begin to imagine a father like that, especially when some of our earthly fathers were far from being anywhere near that for us. Again, as a father myself, I know how often I'm not as accessible and responsive to my children as I need to be. Sometimes I get too busy. Sometimes I get too distracted, too tired, too short-tempered to love my children well. 
And it's hard for me sometimes not to project my father's failures and my own fatherly failures onto my heavenly father. And in projecting my fatherly brokenness onto God, it often leads me down a path of doubt. Wondering, God, are you really there for me? Will you really bring me through this situation? Do you really still love me even though I keep failing you? Will you really be gentle with me? Will you really forgive me? Will you really father me well? Brothers and sisters, temptations to doubt God's fatherly love for us are normal in the Christian life. And that's why the Father has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who Paul tells us in chapter 4, verse 6, God sends into our hearts to prompt us to cry out, Abba, Father. In other words, one of the main and primary missions of the Holy Spirit in your life is to come behind you and to push you against the winds of doubt. To press you into a deeper and deeper trust and felt experience of God's fatherly love for you. Driving you to take the risk to test out his fatherly love for you. When I was in high school, I remember doing something dumb, as I often did during that season of life. And I found myself wound up in a very complicated in hard situation, a situation that I knew I couldn't get myself out of. And I remember a friend of mine who knew my situation and knew my family well telling me, Charles, you know what you got to do. You got to tell your dad. You got to tell him because he's the only one that can actually help you out of this situation. And I distinctively remember thinking, no. I can't take this to him. He's already bailed me out of too many situations. I can't bring myself to bring my father into my mess once again. I don't want to disappoint him again. And now looking back on it, deep down, I really didn't believe I deserved his fatherly care for me. Not after all I'd done. But what my friend was in effect telling me was to go ahead and test out my father's love for me. And so I did. I told him everything. And I remember my father being a little angry. And I remember him expressing some disappointment with me. But what I remember most is him proving nonetheless faithful to be a good father to me through it all. And it was in that situation, and honestly, many situations like that during that season in my life, when I came to know my father's love for me in a deeper and more dynamic and more transformative way. I never felt more like a beloved child of my father than when I made a royal mess of my life and got to watch my father meet me in it and love me through it. Some of you may be here this morning in your own hard situation. 
situations that you may have even had your own hand in getting yourself into. And you've been apprehensive about really allowing your heavenly father into your situation. Maybe deep down you don't believe you deserve his fatherly love for you. And guess what? You're right. You don't deserve it. We all deserve to be left with the worst and eternal consequences of all our mess. But brothers and sisters, this thing has never been about what we deserve. It's always been from the jump about Jesus and what Jesus has earned for you, including the Father's unfailing and unconditional commitment to love you as his own and to cover you with the fullness of his fatherly love, even and especially when we least deserve it. Like my friend did for me that day, again, the Spirit of God pressures us to go ahead and test out God's fatherly love for us. To cry out to him, as the scripture says, to confess our sins. To cry out to him, to lay bare our struggles and pains. To cry out to our heavenly father and watch him perfectly father us through any and everything. He will. I know he will because I've seen him do it in my own And I know many of you can testify to how you've seen him do it in your life, too. Amen? Brothers and sisters, the Father always stands ready and waiting for you to come to him with all the guilt and shame, with all the insecurities and disappointments you carry, and to place them in his fatherly hands and to watch him perfectly father you through it all. And of course, as a good father, God doesn't play favorites. God extends this amazing privilege, not just to some of his children, but to all of his children. That's why Paul tells the Galatian Christians in chapter 4, verse 6, that they all can cry out, Abba, Father. Or as it reads in the Greek, Abba, Pater. And understand what Paul is doing here. Abba was the Aramaic way of saying father. So that's how the Jewish folk back then would have said it. But pater, pater was how the Gentile Greeks would have said father. So Paul is intentionally getting bilingual on us here, making it clear to both the Jews and Greeks in the Galatian church that it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female, as Paul says in verse 28. No matter your race, no matter your gender, no matter your class, no matter your culture, each and every one of us by grace through faith are one in Christ, Paul says, and therefore we all equally share in the Father's love. Of course, this beautiful truth has all kinds of implications for the way that we should understand our relationships with one another as spiritual brothers and sisters especially across racial and social and gender lines. And if we had more time this morning, it would be worth exploring those many implications. But the one implication I want to highlight today is that if we all indeed, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, have God as our Father, and if we all equally share in his love, then there's no greater ministry of love 
that we can offer to one another as brothers and sisters than to join the Holy Spirit in his work by frequently reminding one another of the Father's love for us. We need each other, brothers and sisters, to meet one another in our distress, to meet one another in our discouragement, to meet one another in our insecurities and guilt, bringing one another the reminder that the Father still loves us and is loving us. To say, I know it may not look like it right now, my sister. I know it may not feel like it right now, my brother. But just as sure as the Father loves his only begotten son, Jesus, he loves you and is loving you perfectly right now, even through the distress and discouragements you're experiencing. Oh, how we need some mature and strong spiritual brothers and sisters who are willing to throw their arms around us and remind us that the Father still loves us and is loving us even in the hard and confusing and frustrating place that we might be in in the moment. So by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, we are all beloved children of our Heavenly Father. And so called to always be reminding one another of the Father's love for us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for being a good father to us. And uh, we pray that you would forgive us, Father. Forgive us for at times doubting your love for us. Forgive us for at times failing to take advantage of the opportunities you give us to remind our struggling brothers and sisters of this love. Help us, Holy Spirit, to believe and to experience this love in our hearts more deeply that we might live and love out of it more faithfully. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.